Well, I want you, before you open your Bible to the book of James, uh, a book of, of, of John, I want you to open your Bible back to the book of James where we were last Sunday. And I want to kind of pick up because what I'm doing tonight is talking about the power to know and do God's will. Now, last Sunday morning, if you were here, you heard. If not, you uh, let me say it again real quickly. I shared last Sunday morning what I believe the Holy Spirit of God from God's Word impressed upon me to make uh, my, my biblical resolution for 2022. And you could call it a goal, you call it whatever you want to call it. And that was very simply, and I, I shared it in the sermon, it's very simple, to know and to do God's will. That's, that's my goal. I'm asking God to help me as I journey through this year Number one, to know, but also to do. It does zero good to know God's will and not do God's will. And, and you can't do God's will if you don't know God's will. And what we talked about last Sunday morning is that in the Bible, there are specific passages of Scripture that just point blank say this is the will of God. And over in the book of Thessalonians, we looked at three of them right together and then one just in the chapter previous but elsewhere in the Bible, the Bible says, you know, for this is the will of God. Now, if you look with me in James, in James chapter uh, 4, I'm not going to re-preach the sermon, but just glance down at verse number 15, James chapter 4, verse 15, because this is the verse that I felt God just had jump off the page to me and, 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 and clarify to me, hey, this is what you need to do. You need to know and do what you know to be the will of God. He said, he's talking to these people who are making all their own plans. Their mistake is they didn't include God in their plans. And many times that's what we do, I have to confess. We plan things and then we ask God, now God, would you please bless what we've planned? But we didn't have God with us when we were developing the plan and let him show us his will in the matter. In James 4.15, the Bible says you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. So if you've not marked that verse in your Bible, I would encourage you to mark it. Now, last Sunday morning, what I did with that, I, I, I issued a challenge to the Christians in the room and watching and the challenge was very, very simple. Consider, that was the big word. You know, normally at the end of a sermon, we are, we are encouraging people, make this decision, make that decision based on what the Word of God teaches. But I felt led to say, no, wait a minute. Don't, don't ask the people to say, okay, I'm going to make that my, my goal for 2022. Ask the people to consider doing that. And if you were here last Sunday or watching, I hope you have, and if you haven't already concluded, are considering because it's a serious matter. I mean, it's one thing just to raise your hand and say, okay, 2022, my goal is to know and do God's will. Well, you, know, you get a bunch of hands raised on that. But if you take God seriously, take God's word seriously, then you need to think through, pray through, and not make a commitment to God that in your heart you don't intend to do what you have committed to God to do with his help 
helping us do that. I understand all that. Now, all that said, let me, let me just deal with something else. And you have a place, I think, in your bulletin to write it. And it's, it's, a, it's a very simple thing. I'm looking at the bulletin. No, it's a PowerPoint. It's not in the bulletin. But you, you can jot this down somewhere on the, maybe on the backside. Here's something when we're reading the Bible that we need to remember about Scripture whether it is a single verse or whether it is several verses or a whole chapter, matters not. Remember this, a text, T-E-X-T, out of context is a pretext. And I, w I have it on the screen, and I wish you'd jot that down. I don't think I had a blank for you to fill in on that. But it, it, I, I want you to put that somewhere and Perhaps finally get it written on one of those blank pages in your Bible because a text that is out of context is a pretext. Now, now let me explain, to maybe clarify that a little bit. You say, well, what's this matter? A pretext. What is a pretext? A pretext is a false reason or motive put forth to hide the real motive and the real reason. In other words, and, and I... This is my own personal conviction. I hear, I watch and listen to many, many sermons. And, and many times what I'm listening to, I'm listening to preachers that take a text. It could be a verse. It could be several verses. And they read the verse and they just go off somewhere that has absolutely nothing to do with the context of the verse. And so we need to know, uh, we need to know something about what we read. You know, this word pretext, like a synonym, I looked up some synonyms for the word pretext. It would be an excuse, a front, an alleged reason. In other words, you read a verse or several verses in the Bible, say, okay, we visit. Now, you know, what that says is, and you go off onto whatever you want to say, well, what that's doing, that's taking a text out of context. Now, how do you know the context of a scripture? And this is very, very important. And you're the Wednesday nighters and you, you care about knowing about God's word else you wouldn't be here. It, it's not rocket scientists. You, you have to know something about like who wrote the book. Now God's the author. We dealt with that Sunday. God chose godly men to be the writers like James wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But God was the author of the book of James. Okay. Now, who did James? So he wrote the book. He's the writer. God's the author. Well, to know the context of the whole book of James, like who did James write to? Well, if you'll just turn back real quick in James chapter 1, verse 1, it says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. He wrote to Jewish believers. Now think about that. Jewish people had come to believe that Jesus Christ was a Messiah. They had become believers. You and I would say they had become Christians. You and I would say they, had, they were now saved. Well, they don't use that terminology. If you go to Israel and there are Jewish, there are Jewish people who have become you and I would call Christians, they refer to themselves as believers. They, they don't ever say, I'm, I'm now a Christian. They don't say, I've been saved. 
they, they would say, I am now a believer. What they're saying is, I am a believer that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So this entire book of James is written to believers. So now that includes you and me. That includes you and me. So now how do you learn about, you know, what was the problem? Well, the problem was all these Jewish people that were now scattered. Why were they scattered? They were scattered because of the persecution they were undergoing, having left the Jewish faith. They saw Stephen martyred in Acts chapter 7. You read that. Herod Agrippa, they were fearful of the persecution that he was putting on people who were becoming believers, and they feared for their own safety and their own life. And so all that fear, was making them very despondent, very discouraged. What John's talking about earlier, calm spirit. And, well, they didn't have any of that. So the Holy Spirit used James to write to give them some words of encouragement, to give them some direction. That's what this whole book's about. Now, here's how easily you can learn the context of any book in the Bible. If you have any good study Bible, any good study Bible, before each book, uh, in, in the Bible. There's 66 books in the Bible. Well, before, before you read verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, in a study Bible, there'll be one or two pages that give you some information about the book. And you can, a, a very good study Bible would be John MacArthur's study Bible. It's not the only good study Bible. Oh, my gracious, no. There are many good study Bibles. And that page or two will give you more information than you're probably going to digest, but it will tell you the author. It'll tell you who the recipients were. It'll tell you the purpose of the book. And so you learn that. Now, I made the statement that one of my goals is on the front, on the page that begins each book in, in the Bible, I'm in, I, I have a project I've been working on far too long. I, I write enough information on that page so when I turn to that book, in just a nutshell, I can read three or four little statements I've written and know a little bit about the context of that book. Now, it's interesting that I shared that. I may have shared it on Wednesday night, but I'll share it sometime. <laughs> I had an email from one of our members that said, they sent it to the office, said, tell the pastor that he doesn't have to write that all down. If he just get a study Bible, it's in the study Bible. Well, the pastor knows that. That's where he's getting the information but I don't run around with study Bibles. I want to have my Bible with just three or four little statements to help me know enough to kind of remind me. Now, that's very helpful when you get back over in the Old Testament in the major prophets, the minor prophets, you know, like was, was he writing of this? Well, so I would encourage you, you may not want to develop that much of a project, but it will help you to keep text in context and it makes it, much more meaningful. It makes it much richer in its reading. Now, having said all that, which is more than you wanted to hear, but uh, turn with me in the Gospel of John in chapter number 16. I want us to see our text for tonight. John chapter 16. And I'm operating up here with one hand, so I'm doing the best I can. All right. My little desk is not very large. Now, in John chapter 16, verse 7, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. He said, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, 
Now, I don't know what translation you have. I'm in the New King James. There's the helper. The helper. And the Greek word is the paraclete. And we'll talk about that in a moment. It may be translated comforter in your Bible. It may be translated encourager. Uh, it may be translated counselor. That's, 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 that is the Holy Spirit. That's what it's talking about. Okay. He will come to you. But if I depart, he will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So Jesus is saying something very, very important. Now, now maybe over on the back side of your, of your sheet, let me get your sheet and see what's on the front side. Well, this is good. Um, let, let me say a word. And you may want to just, while you have your Bible open, you might want to take a moment to maybe even write in the Bible or write it on the back of your worship sheet and later transfer. But here, here's, here's important. John chapters 13 all the way through John chapter 17. That's five chapters. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Those five chapters all tell about things that Jesus told and did on the night before his crucifixion. Those five chapters are some of the most loved chapters in all the New Testament. So here's, here's a point. If you open your Bible or someone else is reading and you're listening to their reading, and they're reading out of John 13, 14, 15, 16, or 17, you know they're reading things that took place, that were said, that were done on the night before Jesus Christ was crucified the very next day. Now, I want to help you with something. Let's, you can do this even where you sit. Turn to John chapter 13. And I just, I, you, you don't have to write in your Bible, but I, I have it written in mine. John chapter 13, and, and th th you have this, you have this in, your, in your outline for those who are here, for those who are home. You can get the bulletin on, on the web page, but you could write this down. John chapter 13, verse 1, all the way through chapter 14, verse 31, is all about the talk Jesus had in the upper room. That's what that whole material is about. So like when I just look down at my Bible in John chapter 13, it says the talk in the upper room, 13 colon 1-1431. Okay? Now, if you go over to the end of chapter 14, of course, you come to the next chapter, which is chapter 15. Now, chapter 15, verse 1, all the way through chapter 17 Verse 26, all the way. All that material is uh, the walk from the upper room making the journey to Gethsemane. That's what that's all about, the whole thing. And then your, your sheet says that tonight. Now, you, 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 you know that if you look at the last verse in chapter 14. Now, in chapter 14, they're still in the upper room. And the Bible says, but that, that the world, he said, that the world may know that I love the Father and as the Father gave, my, gave me commandment, so I do. Then Jesus said this, arise, let us go from here. Well, now where's here? Well, here's in the upper room. They've been in the upper room all this time. Those of us who've been to Israel, I don't think I've ever been to Israel in all of our trips 
that we didn't go to the upper room. We've, we've been to what is, uh, what is symbolized as the upper room. It's certainly in the area where the upper room would have been. And it's one of the most moving places you go. Well, when Jesus left the upper room and starts walking toward the, the Garden of Gethsemane, well, you have that information in chapter 15, verse 1, all the way through chapter 17. Now, in, in chapter 17, as they journeyed along, you hear many times this something said like this. Like we call the model prayer the Lord's Prayer. Like, you know, in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, we read the model prayer. And, and we always say, now, that's not a prayer Jesus prayed. That's a prayer where Jesus taught when the disciples asked that he teach them how to pray. And he gives us kind of a model of how a prayer should be. Now, we refer to it as the Lord's Prayer. There's nothing wrong with that as long as we understand it doesn't mean it's a prayer that Jesus prayed. It is really like an example to, to help us know kind of a pattern for our prayer. Now, a prayer Jesus did pray is in John chapter 17. And you have that listed for you right here, the prayer Jesus prayed. Now, where did he pray this prayer? He prayed this prayer as he and his disciples were following along on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. He was not in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed this prayer. He was walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. And now, whether he just kept walking and prayed or stopped and prayed, Scripture doesn't tell us that. Now, it's very interesting the Gospel of John omits many things about his prayer in the garden that you read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's just many, many things you read in the synoptic Gospels about what happened in the garden. Much of that John does not include at all. But be that as it may, now look at our text again in John chapter 16. While, while they are walking along out of the upper room, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, if I'd been a disciple, I'd think, how would that be to my advantage? He said, for if I do not go away, the helper, referring to the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, if I leave you, if I go from you, I will send him to you. Now, you know, it's interesting in today's Oswald Chambers devotional book, My Utmost for His Highs, uh, that would be that would be the now that that book would be a little deeper than than David Jeremiah's book because David Jeremiah's book is more of a devotional book and Chambers is a devotional book but uh, the content can sometimes be very very deep but in today's is I, I I just couldn't I was reading that this morning early I just read today's devotional out of Oswald Chambers and he had one sentence in today's devotional when I read it I thought. Man, that just is what I'm talking about tonight at church. And here's what that sentence said, and I quote, All our promises and resolutions end in denial because we have no power to accomplish them. I read that. Then I thought about my sermon last Sunday, my resolution, my goal for 2022, know God, do His will. Look, you know, people, sincere people, we all, we all make resolutions to do something. I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to do this more. I'm going to do this less. I mean, you know, 
we, 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 it's just, we do that. Most of us do that. But how many times do we make these resolutions and something happens and we, it just, it just, it doesn't happen. And we wind up on a guilt trip. I'll tell you what, and I'll, you'll see how it works in the end. We have to have power beyond our power. If you're, if you're making serious resolutions about God, I mean, if, if you're making a resolution, you're saying to God, God, I am, I'm, making a, I'm making a resolution. I, I'm going to read my Bible every day in 2022. And I'm going to every day, I'm going to find time, God, to pray. I'm going to make time and I'm going to pray. Now, now that, that's, but now let me tell you, in your human power and strength, you'll, you'll find that to be quite a, quite a challenge and, and that's what Chambers is talking about. He said all of our promises are, and resolutions end in denial because we have no power to accomplish them. Well, this is what Jesus is talking about in our text. This is what he's telling the disciples. I'm going from you. You can imagine how they had depended on him for three years. They had watched him do all these things. They had listened to that which he taught them. I mean, can you imagine sitting on the uh, teachings of Jesus and going with Jesus when he performed all these miracles and now all of a sudden their leader says, guys, I'm, I'm going to be leaving you, but you're going to be better off without me than you would be if I didn't leave you because when I leave, the Holy Spirit, the helper, the encourager, the counselor, the, the, the real power that you need to, to know and do God's will and to live your Christian life is going to be made available to you in a different way. It's not like the Holy Spirit didn't exist. I mean, you, you, we, we, that'd be a sermon for another time. You go back, the, but, but after Christ, after the resurrection, uh, after the ascension, and the disciples went back to that upper room and the Spirit of God came down in a mighty, powerful way and manifested himself. And that is a remarkable, remarkable thing. Now, in all of this material that we're talking about, chapters 13 through chapter 7, these five chapters, and I have it for you to maybe fill in a little blank or two here tonight, uh, Jesus mentioned some ways the Holy Spirit will be a help. And uh, I, I want you to, to kind of look with me on that. And... Um, if you look in, in John, let's look in John 14. If you turn back to John 14, uh, let me read verses, verses 15 through 17. Now they're in the upper room. We know where they are. And when we come down to verse, verses of 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he, the Father, will give you another helper. There's the word. Talk about the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you, now watch this, and will be in you. So one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in a remarkable way, he lives in us by living in us. And I believe, I believe that's how we said that, by living in us. So I'm just saying to you tonight, if you've ever repented of your sins 
and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life and make you a Christian, the very Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit himself, came and does live in you. Now, you may say, well, wait a minute. I don't, I don't experience that. Well, let me just say back to that. If you'll wait just a minute, I'll explain why. But let's finish what we're on. These ways the Holy Spirit will help by, by living in us. And then in John chapter 14, if you look down in verse 26, he will teach you all things. And I think we have that on the, there we go, by teaching us. That's another thing the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit of God teaches us. Look in verse 26. It says, but the helper, talking about the Holy Spirit, says so. Whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. So we have the Holy Spirit not just living in us. We have the Holy Spirit teaching. The same Holy Spirit that inspired these holy writers to write, God being the author. And so one way he teaches us is by the word that he inspired. But the Holy Spirit of God will teach you in many other ways. Sometimes it's by the chastening of the Lord. That's a sermon for another time. But, you know, the word chaste in the Bible, the the word, the the idea is it's enforced learning. You know, sometimes we are slow learners when it comes to God. And and it's kind of like raising your children. You know, sometimes you can just kind of, you know, say, hey, you guys, you you know, y'all need to do so and so. Well, that doesn't carry much weight. But like if they see you begin to take your belt off, Oh, I'm, I guess parents don't do that anymore, but like, that, that's just how I was raised. I mean, if I saw my dad reach for his belt buckle, uh, that's called enforced learning. Okay, enforced learning. And he'd whip me and always say to me, this hurts me more than it does you. And I said, Dad, I, I didn't. Well, that's, that's a sermon for another time. But anyway, sometimes the Holy Spirit has to use a little enforced learning, but he teaches us. So we have a great, we have a great teacher. And then if you turn over in John chapter 16, now we're in this section now where they're walking to the garden and you look in verse seven, of course, he comes by, is it by living in us? What did I entitle? By comforting us. All right, now let's look at that. Verse seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. I go away for if I, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And that word again is translated here in the New King James as helper. It may be in your Bible encourager. It may be in your Bible counselor. It may be in your Bible comforter. The Holy Spirit's all that. You know, when you take this one Greek word and start, and you say, I'm going to translate this into English. Well, that word won't translate in one word into English. It, it denotes a, a, an idea. The Holy Spirit is our Teacher, he's our helper, he's our guide, he's our encourager, he's our counselor, he is our comforter. And then if you look in verse 13, uh, another way he helps us, let me read the verse. When the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you by guiding us. And that's what he does. So, you know, we just put all that together and that's... That's not the entirety of all the works of the Holy Spirit, but that is part of what Jesus is talking to these disciples about as they were having this experience with him on the night before his crucifixion the very next day. And so, now, 
it's very, very interesting. I mean, all this is very simple. Now, the power to know and do God's will lives inside of us, lives inside of us. And we just must always remember that. And, uh, you know, the verse that I that I have marked here is, is just such a great verse. Verse 17, John chapter 14, verse 17 says, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. So that's, that's the power that we have to know and to do God's will. Now, here is the, here's the real kicker in this thing, though. Because so many times we say, I, I believe that I'm saved. I don't have any question about that. I know the Bible says the Holy Spirit of God lives in me, but I, I don't seem to experience that. Now, you need to fill in these next two words because this is, this is, so, this is our part. And here's what it is. Your sanctification process determines the fullness of his power in you. I'm going to give you a moment to write that down. Big old long word. We dealt with it Sunday. The word sanctification, layman's language, just simply means to become, or it means becoming more like Jesus. Becoming more like Jesus. Now, if you'll turn in your Bible over to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We were there Sunday. And I want you to go back there just for a moment tonight. Look with me in 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to wait for you to get there. Chapter number, uh, chapter number 5, verse number 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Because, I mean, it, it, you know, we don't, if you're saved, you don't need to get resaved. Uh, you say, well, what do I need to do? You say, well, I've, I, I, need, I just need more of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> well, you know, the problem is not that we need more of the Holy Spirit. The problem is the Holy Spirit needs more of us. Yeah, we have that thing backwards. And a lot of different, you know, some different denominations and churches, you know, they say, well, you know, to have more of the Holy Spirit, you know, you've got to speak in tongues, or you've got to do this, you've got to do that. Well, you know, that's a sermon another time. But you just have to understand when you're saved, you receive the Holy Spirit in you. And uh, as far as having to give evidence, like if you say, well, you have to give proof you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you'd, you have to speak in tongues. Well, if that's true, Jesus never even had the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in the Bible does say Jesus went around speaking in tongues as people talk about the unknown prayer language. Well, I'm not saying there's not that gift. I'm just saying that gift is not to be equated with salvation. See, when you add anything to salvation other than the shed blood of Jesus, you just blunder. Salvation is Jesus, period. Not Jesus plus join the church, not Jesus plus baptize, not Jesus plus live a good life. It, it's Jesus plus, you know, when people say that, they don't understand what they're saying. What they're saying is, you know, the death of Jesus and his shed blood just wasn't enough. I've got to help him. <laughs> he doesn't need any help. He's died for you. He's died for me. And when we place our faith and trust in the atoning work of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And, and we've dealt with it. And he does all these things. He teaches us. He comforts us. He guides us. He encourages us. Uh, you know, he, uh, he's our counselor, all that. But this power is available to us that lives in us. 
and it is dependent on our sanctification process. I've said this so many times, like salvation is instant. The moment the Holy Spirit convicts a person, they're lost. You can't be saved if you don't know you're lost. And when the Holy Spirit, it's like, it's like you've been blinded. Now you all of a sudden see, I'm a sinner. Yes, we all are. And you repent of your sins, place your faith and trust in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God comes to live in you and instantly you are saved. That happened to me as a child. Now, all at once, but then here comes the Christian life. See, that's the easy part. <laughs> it's, this, it's this Christian life. It's, it's a process. It's a process. Like you don't start a child to school in the 12th grade. You start a child to school maybe in pre-K or wherever. The first grade, second grade, etc. Well, the Christian life. We start out as babes in Christ. And I fear if people would be really honest, there are many people that are Christian people that have been Christian people for years but they're still babes in Christ. See, there's a, there's a part of this that involves us. It is a process where we grow to become more like Jesus. And how do you do that? You do that by knowing his word, studying his word, pondering what you read, applying it to your life, Involving God in all the decisions and your plans, except I mean, it just it, it, they're they're all kind of discipline, prayer and meditation and worship and and obedience to what God's word says. All that is part of this process, and and we never will be like the end of that until that great day when Christ comes for us. Philippians chapter one verse six says, "Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, that's our salvation, will complete it on the day of Jesus Christ." So here's here's the here's to me the exciting thing about this whole thing: what determines whether we have the power to know and do God's will? See, sanctification is the work of God. In fact, let's look back at that verse. Verse with it, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. You don't sanctify yourself. God does that. What you do, look at the rest of that verse. Sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved. That word means kept. Blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We, we, we say, okay, God, every day, I am going to, with your help and the power of the Holy Spirit in me, I want to live my life so as you look down, my body, my soul, and my spirit in your sight, you see in my heart, I'm trying to live a life that I'd be blameless. Now, I won't be 100%, but God judges our heart, and that is what is important.